I lost track of where she went. But uh, a cool, cool weekend uh, for Ashlyn, too. It's her birthday weekend. I lost track of where she went. But uh, how cool to celebrate birthday and also this kind of moment that marks her new birth also in Christ. Like just sort of uh, a really, really cool picture of what God, uh, what God is doing in, in her life and in the lives of, uh, of just so many around the church. It's good to see you all. Man, I, I, was, I missed you all. I was gone for a couple weeks, came back and got a cold. And so I'm sorry about my, my voice. And if I go into some coughing fits, uh, please uh, forgive me. But I'll try to, try to make it through the morning. Um, so we've been in this series on the theology of technology. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 6. The words uh, for the scripture aren't actually going to be on the screen, and so I would highly recommend following along uh, in a Bible that you have, or there are red Bibles um, on the row that you're in. Uh, Genesis 6 is, I think, on page 5, or you can scan the QR code in the bulletin and follow along on your device, which is appropriate since we're talking about technology, right, to use some technology. Um, and, and so, just a little bit of review uh, on this, this series, like where we've been. This is week three in the series, uh, The Theology of Technology. So, some ideas of just to kind of catch you up to speed on where we've been. Um, these are in your bulletin as well. Uh, we'll hit these real quick. That technology is a reflection of being made in the image of our Creator. That technology is not bad. Technology is actually really good. That God gave us human beings creativity and we use that creativity to fulfill God's command in Genesis 2.15, which was two parts, cultivate and keep the earth. And that command has, has two parts. One is cultivate the earth, which means be productive, like help the earth be fruitful, help people flourish, uh, cultivate it, move it forward. But there's a second, like, balancing command that says keep it. Don't exploit it. Don't abuse it. Don't use more than you should. Um, steward it in God's direction. Cultivate it and keep. Uh, and we use technology to help us fulfill that command. Here's how we've been defining technology. It's the human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical ends. So technology is more than your smartphone. It's more than something you plug into the wall. Like that's what we, when we think technology, we're, we're, we think electronics, right? Um, but the clothes you're wearing are technology. It's a human creation. The shoes on your feet, the car you drove in this morning, language is human technology, art is technology, uh, the tools in your kitchen and in your workshop, like these are all technology. And so thinking about it holistically, not just screens. And then last week we talked about rebellion, that our rebellion, our sinful nature, it leads us to make and to use tools in ways that alienate us from God and from each other. And so this is where we want to pick up. We want to talk a little bit more about this rebellion piece of how it plays itself out in technology um, and in our lives, and then talk about redemption, of how Jesus has redeemed technology and invites us to use it redemptively. So that's where we're headed today. Um, how did the technology fast go, by the way? Anybody, anybody brave enough to do that, to just go dark for 24 hours? Raise your hands if you were, if you were brave enough to do that. Awesome. A couple of people. Uh, I, I sent somebody a text this, um, this last week, like on Friday. I said, hey, would you have a chance to talk at like 2 o'clock today? Somebody from the church. And uh, it was at like 1230 or something like that. And I didn't hear anything back until about 3 o'clock. And um, 
sent me a text back and said, actually, I had my phone turned off for a nap. I'm like, that is fantastic. Just like shutting the phone down. Um, I would highly recommend doing this. Put technology in its proper place, that it doesn't rule you. Uh, to just take 24 hours, sometime you may have to plan it, you may have to do it on a weekend, you may have to um, build your life around it, but you will be amazed at what happens in 24 hours with no screens, no phones, no radio, to just, uh, to just be. I did, I did a 48-hour technology fast last, or this past spring, and it was unbelievable. Um, realized how many things, like technology makes us feel like everything's urgent. I want to talk to that person, I need to talk to them now. I want that answer, I need that answer now. And then you realize, like, wait a second, I, it's, it's not that urgent. I can wait. Um, I, there's a fear that says if I, if I, like, sort of go dark and don't have any technology, what happens if an emergency happens and somebody needs to get a hold of me? Well, when's the last time an emergency happened that somebody, like, desperately needed to get a hold of you? It just doesn't happen that often. But we have this fear that if we're not connected all the time, parents, like, with their kids, like, we need to chill out. Like, with, like, sending them to school, like, they have to have their cell phone on them all the time because what if something happens that I need to know about in the moment? Like, we, we just need to sort of step back to say, if we take our hands off the steering wheel, like, the world isn't going to fall apart. We're not at, we actually don't have that much control. And so Technology Fast, help, they help us to do that. So I would, congratulations to those of you who are, um, who had the courage to do this. How many of you had this experience if you did it, right? Have you seen this? Um, what kind of bird is this? It's a butterfly. Um, so, all right. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Um, while you're turning there, how would you, how would you respond to this question? Uh, wait a second, Eric, uh, but isn't technology neutral? How many of you would say, like, oh, yeah, it's like, if you use your technology in good ways, it's, well, then it's good. If you use it in bad ways, it's bad. Your TV, like a TV is just neutral. It's just there. If you watch good things, it's good. If you watch bad things, it's bad. I won't make you raise your hands, but I'm guessing that most of us would be like, yeah, that seems logical. It seems reasonable. Here's what a guy named Marshall McLuhan said about this in the 1960s. He says, our conventional response to all media, namely that it's how they are used that counts, is the numb stance of the technological idiots. I think he just insulted most of us. But here's the thing. As people of faith, we have to understand that technology is not neutral. Just having it there changes the dynamics of our communication and our family life, our homes. Think about your living room. Um, I'm guessing many of us have a TV in our living room, right? Which way are the chairs in our living room facing? I'm guessing many of them are facing the TV. Like, what has the priority in our living rooms? If the TV, if the, if the TV is central, if our chairs are all facing the TV, that means the TV is the thing that has our attention, and what doesn't have our attention is what? Each other. And so just, it doesn't matter if you turn it on, if you don't, it's just there and it changes the dynamic. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever tried to have a conversation with somebody at Buffalo Wild Wings? <laughs> like, TVs are meant to capture our attention. And, and so that's what they do. They just capture our attention. And when the TV's there, it, it means that we're, we're probably more likely than not to turn it on and to watch it by accident. It's just like, oh, there's nothing to do, so we'll just turn the TV on and we'll just have it sort of going. And so there's this noise and this input that's coming into our home and into our families, and it's having an impact 
on us. So it doesn't mean we shouldn't have a TV in our living room. It means we need to think and to pray and to ask and to discern and to ask God for wisdom to say, how, what's appropriate use of these technologies? Now, here, here's an example. My, my wife is much better at this than I am. And so a, a while back, we started thinking about this stuff and decided to move the TV out of the living room and move it into the basement, which means our TV consumption went down like, I don't know, like maybe by a tenth or to a tenth of what it was, just because we just don't want you. We just don't go down there. Our, bas- our basement's kind of grungy, so we don't want to go down there. Um, and instead, what we put in the living room was a piano in the place where the TV was. And now our chairs sort of face each other, but the piano is there. And what does the piano do? Well, now our kids don't watch TV by accident. They play piano by accident. Our daughter the other day figured out that she can play her songs backwards, much to the chagrin of her piano teacher. Um, but it rewards creativity, and, and, and we end up like there, there's songs of worship being played. Um, and, and we've had to like constantly say like, oh, but we have these other screens. We have laptops that just end up sitting on our coffee table. And when they're sitting there, what do the kids do? They, they say, we want to watch something. Can we watch something? Can we watch Netflix? Because they're there. They captivate our attention. So we decided, okay, let's, let's keep the laptops out of the living room and let's fill the coffee table with games, with puzzles, with things that are going to bring us together as a family because our time together as a family is limited. Like, those moments are precious and they're limited and we want to capitalize on those things. So, so think about these things as people of faith. How does technology shape us? So Genesis chapter 6. We're going to see how technology is at work in God's story. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Story of Noah. Now, Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. We'll come back to that. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. So two times violence is cited as a cause for God's intervention. The earth is full of violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So, verse 14, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. And then God goes on to give Noah blueprints and instructions on how to build this ark. So God decides to bring this cleansing to the earth, to sort of purge the earth of evil and violence, And how does he save humanity and the animals? Through technology. What is the ark? The ark is God-designed technology. It was was God's dream. God's envisioned it. And he tells Noah, you are to build it. You're to use a hammer and nails and wood. Take these trees, cut them down, mill them, and build this ark out of wood. God chose to use technology to redeem his people. Is that cool? Like, have you ever thought about the ark as being technology before? This should tell us that God isn't a technophobe, that God isn't afraid to use technology, and God isn't afraid to have us use technology. In fact, this story should tell us that it pleases God to partner with human creativity to to bring redemption and, and salvation to the world, that God loves to do this. And so it, it can get us start to thinking, like, okay, how do we use technology redemptively? Are there ways to do that? I mean, many of us are, we're, we're, we're bugged by the buzzing and the beeping of our phones. 
right? I mean, just, it's annoying when, when you're talking to somebody and their phone buzzes and they pull it out and, and, and look at it. But is there a way to use that buzzing and beeping redemptively? About eight or nine years ago, before smartphones, what we did is we handed out these little timers. They were 60-minute timers on a carabiner. Do you remember this? Some of you who were around? And we had them like, said, hey, take this, set a timer for 60 minutes, and every 60 minutes it's going to buzz. And when it buzzes, take 60 seconds to be reminded of God's presence in your life and your call to just abide with God in this moment. It's a way of using it redemptively, Right? Um, Facebook, we are so distracted by social media, and we can, and I, like, I realize when I'm on the internet sometimes at home or whatever, I'll, like, I'll look for something, but then I just automatically, like, oh, I'm on Facebook, and so I scroll, and all of a sudden, five minutes or ten minutes or fifteen minutes goes by. It's a distraction. Is there a way to use Facebook redemptively? Well, we have, uh, there's a guy in our church, Charlie Wilson, who's been away from home for several months because he's been getting treatments in Kansas City for leukemia. And praise God, he's in full remission, but he's still getting these sort of residual treatments. And they have a Facebook page to support Charlie Wilson, and they just keep everybody updated because we're not with them on his progress and and prayer requests and things like that. That is a redemptive use of Facebook. You get messages in your inbox if you're a part of the church and you've signed up for it for Care Portal, like meeting needs of foster families in our community. This is a beautiful, creative way to use technology. So technology is a wonderful gift for us and has brought so many good things into our world. Um, Sometimes we can like, we can kind of be seduced by the idea though that says like, man, I just wish I could go back to a simpler time. How many of you ever feel that way? It's like, man, life 200 years ago would have probably been less complicated than it is now. How many of you feel that way? If you, given the chance, you go back like 200 years, like life on the farm, kind of laid back, little John Denver, um, and then you think, how many of you would want to go to a dentist 200 years ago? <laughs> Not so much. Do you know what the life expectancy was in the United States 200 years ago, the beginning of the 1800s? About 40 years old. Actually, 40 is pretty high. Um, so I'm, like, past my life expectancy. Like, I'm, at the, I'm, in, I'm in my elder years at 36. Um, technology has done so many wonderful things. Um, there's been progress, unbelievable progress for sure. But on the opposite side of that, we can get seduced by the progress and we can say, well, you know what, just give us enough time, human beings, and we'll figure out the problems. We'll, um, you got a problem, you'll, we'll solve it. Um, we will, from John Denver to Vanilla Ice, um, we, uh, we, we have this illusion that human progress is going to fix all of the prog- all problems with the world. There's even this idea that technology will help us overcome death. Humans have always wanted to achieve immortality, and now you can do it through social media. This is, this is horrifying, by the way. Um, there's this, uh, this website called Eternity Me um, that will, you can become virtually immortal. Um, Eternity Me collects your thoughts, stories, memories, and curates them and creates an intelligent avatar that looks like you. And this avatar will live forever and allow other people in the future to access your memories. It's nuts to try to overcome death through social media. You can actually hire, like there are these other uh, social media platforms that you can hire to like look through all of your postings, like your history of the things you liked, you were interested in, and then when you die, like post-mortem, they will keep posting on your behalf. Like so we can just go on stirring up controversy like forever. Right? They're annoying people on social media forever. 
This is, this is crazy. So there's this idea that many people have that technology is going to fix everything, but it's not. It's not. Do you know why? Because the human beings are fundamentally flawed. It's because this, this piece of rebellion inside of us is so strong, technology cannot fix it. And the story of Noah, it teaches us this, that there is this piece of violence in the human heart. And this violence is the antithesis of what God wants for us. Twice in the book of Genesis, in the story of Noah, says God cites violence as a cause for cleansing the earth. And how many of you, if you've stopped and recognized that human technology, at the forefront of human technology, like the cutting edge of human creativity is what? Weapons that will destroy life. Like, that's always been the leading edge of technology, from, like, flint arrowheads to bronze tools to build into swords and spears to steel to gunpowder to nuclear weapons. Like, the cutting edge of technology has been weapons that will take life from other people. And this is a serious, serious sign of our flawed and broken humanity, that our creativity is used not to heal but to harm. Uh, The story goes on in Genesis Chapter 11, we see this keep continuing to play out in the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Uh, as people moved eastward, and, and by the way, this direction eastward, we talked about this last week, is a movement away from God's design. Anytime you see eastward in the Bible, it's this, this movement away from God's plan in the garden. And they, they found uh, the plain um, of Shinar and settled there. And these people, they said to each other, come, let's bake bricks and bake them thir- make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And this is where the story gets funny. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see this tower they were building. Well, that's funny. They're building a tower to reach up to heaven, and what does God have to do to even be able to see it? He's got to sort of stoop down, and so the Bible's funny. Um, But what's going on in this story? It's technology. Like, there's this advancement of saying, no, 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 we're no longer going to build with stones because you can't build a very tall structure with stones. It's going to collapse. So somebody invented this idea of taking a brick and forming it and molding it, and you can make hundreds of them and thousands of them exactly the same size, and they're strong, and you can stack them, and you can put tar for mortar, and you can build massive structures. And what do they want to build this city for? For a place of refuge for the poor and the hurting and the broken. To make a name for themselves. This pride, right, is at the heart of human creativity. Let's use this technology to to build ourselves a city. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. If you go back to chapter 10, you realize who founded the city of Babel. And it was this dude named Nimrod, um, which is where we get the, the theologically rich statement, don't be a Nimrod. So Nimrod, what do we know about him? He was a mighty hunter, uh, a mighty warrior. So what do you have? You have this guy who has power. He's a, he's a guy who has power. And he, it says, he build, started building his kingdom. And his kingdoms were Babylon and, and lists all these other cities. Nimrod, this man with strength, of power, of might, builds his kingdom. Whose kingdom is Nimrod interested in building? His own kingdom. Whose name is he interested in making great? His own name. 
He's not interested in building God's kingdom. He's not interested in God's arrangement, in God's rule, in God's government, in God's reign. He's interested in his own. And, and the word Nimrod, the name, it actually comes from this Hebrew word marad, which means to rebel. So Nimrod is this picture of human rebellion. How many of you know there are still plenty of people interested in building their own kingdoms? I mean, this is, this is the way the world works, isn't it? Powerful people building their own kingdoms. We call them empires. Power-hungry people who are willing to trample others who get in their way. And they do it through military might and economic dominance. I mean, you can, you can almost hear this like syrupy sweet chant from Nimrod as he's building his kingdoms to say, Babylon first. We are the best. We are on top. Everybody else get out of our way. And the word Babylon, Babel, and Babylon are the exact same word. And throughout the Bible, Babylon is pictured as this metaphor for anti-creation, for, for, for this, this city, this movement that is a against God, that is fueled by the enemy, that is, that is uh, empowered by the unholy spirit that sets itself up as God and works against God's purposes to bring wholeness to all people. This is where the city, where technology takes us. Creativity, finding creative ways to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is what General Omar Bradley said, um, a military general. Listen, listen to these words. This is so powerful. We have grasped the mystery of the Adam and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace. We know more about killing than about living. I mean, this is a picture of Nimrod's world. But God's vision for the world is different. It's very different. That God's vision for the church, these people who have, call, have been called by his name, is not that we would use our creativity to just go the way of Nimrod, to go the way of Babylon, to, to steal, kill, and destroy, but to use our creativity to create a world made in God's image. And Isaiah, he, the prophet Isaiah, about 500 years before Christ, he, he casts his compelling vision. Listen to these words. He's like, someday people are going to come, and they're going to come to God's people, and they're going to be sick of this way of living in the world, and they're going to come, and they're going to learn the ways of the Lord. And he, God, will teach them his ways, and so that they will walk in his paths. And his law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will settle disputes for many people, and they will beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Now, what would it be like if, as a church, the people of God, if we just if we if, if we had this dream of God in our hearts, and says like, what would it be like when one day there's no more need for bombers because they'll all be equipped to drop food and medical supplies to the hurting people around the world. When warships will be converted to floating hospitals, caring for the world's sick in the name of Jesus. When the hundreds of billions of dollars spent by nations around the world on military advancement will instead be spent on feeding and empowering people around the world. Could we dream 
And there's something inside me that just says, amen. May it be so. And some of you are going to be involved in that. And God is inspired. And God is inspiring. God is going to use your creativity to partner with God in God's dream for the world to bring healing and hope in Jesus' name. I believe that. Jesus, this is what he does. He comes into the world, and Jesus is a techie. You know this? Jesus was a techie. Uh, the word in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, isn't this the carpenter? Like, it's kind of like, this, this is a guy, he's a, he's a techie. The word carpenter is the word tecton. This is where we get the word technology. It's, it's artisan. It's a skilled worker. He was a techie. That the Son of God, the very presence of God in flesh, was not afraid of technology, but used for 30 years, Jesus was doing technology. Using tools, wood, hammers, nails, the very same tools that Noah used to, to make the world a better place. He used technology redemptively. And then when he's 30 years old, Jesus stands up and his message is this. The kingdom of Nimrod? No. God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. is here and now in my presence, Jesus says. God's rule, God's reign, God's government is here among you. But it doesn't belong to the Nimrods of the world. It doesn't belong to the powerful. It doesn't belong to the men who we memorialize in granite in city centers. It belongs, Jesus says, to the poor and to the poor in spirit. It belongs to those who mourn. It belongs to the gentle. It belongs to the merciful, to the pure in heart, to those who hunger and thirst for the world to be made right. It belongs to the persecuted, the kingdom of God does. It belongs to the masses of people that the Nimrods throughout history have trampled on. And they were elated. I mean, these people, the poor, the pure, the gentle, the merciful, they they rallied around Jesus and they loved him. But there were those who did not love him so much. The Nimrods of his day, the powerful people in his day, they were very threatened by Jesus in this message. The Caiaphas, Herod, Pilate, they conspired together and they hung Jesus on a cross. Now, Jesus willingly went to the cross, right? He he said this, nobody takes my life, I lay my life down freely. But Jesus went to the cross. Now, what is the cross? What is it? The cross is human technology at its worst. The cross is, is, is everything that is wrong with the human heart. Using human technology, the raw materials of this world, to create a tool of death and destruction designed to maximize suffering and shame and to inflict horror on a conquered people. It's the absolute worst of human technology. And imagine this. The Son of God... The one who had spoken that tree into existence now allowed himself to be nailed using a hammer and nails, the very tools he had used in his own wood shop, the very tools that Noah had used. But human beings had transformed all of these into a tool of death. The cross is a symbol of we, a distorted creation, turning on our creator. The cross is the place where human rebellion is at its worst, but it is the place where human rebellion meets God's redemption. 
In all the ways we go off course, in all the ways we try to transform the world for destructive, violent purposes, the cross tells us that God can take all of that evil and restore everything that was lost because of it. The cross is a picture of God entering into this world, entering into our technology and redeeming it. This is why the cross is not a tool of an instrument of death. It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of our salvation. It's a symbol of our new identity in Jesus Christ. And it is a symbol of our commission now to move into the world, to use our creativity, to use technology, to partner with God's vision for the world, to pray and to cry out, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to heal instead of harm. Somebody could say amen to that. So, real quick, a couple of real practical things as we end. Pray for wisdom. Uh, How do you use technology redemptively? Pray for wisdom. Uh, James says if we ask God, if we pray for wisdom, he'll give it. He'll give it to us. As you you discern use of technology in your family, pray for wisdom. Um, Ask the question, do I use technology primarily for entertainment or distraction or for some bigger redemptive purpose? And if technology is, is just used for entertainment or distraction, like, just bring that to Jesus to say, Jesus, how, how can I change my patterns here? How can I use it for redemptive purposes? You ask the question, how can this technology be leveraged to fulfill the command of Jesus to, to announce the goodness of his salvation, to care for those less fortunate? And, and, and one final thing, like parents, grandparents, would you discern with your kids, with your grandkids, the, the use of violent entertainment. Uh, the Bible's real clear. Violence is the antithesis of the heart of God. And so would you discern, like to say, like violent video games, violent um, movies, to just to, to pray about that and to say, God, what do you, what do you want for us in this? Um, as parents, like God has put you in charge of caring for your children and discipling them. And that means knowing what they're watching. It means talking about this. Uh, It means paying attention to what they're playing and how they use technology so that they're not used by it. God, we ask you to form the cross deep in our hearts. Jesus, this, this tool of human rebellion that you turn into a tool of redemption. God, it's at the cross that we find life. It's at the cross that we find hope and freedom, and grace, and mercy. Jesus, we are people who have been formed by the cross. It's our everything. And so, Lord, would you send us out into the world now uh, to, to use our creativity that was given by you through your Holy Spirit to, to partner with you in your work in the world? God, fill us with, with your imagination for what that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen.